Well, hey, welcome back. I'm glad you all made it back. You traveled home for Thanksgiving, or maybe you traveled somewhere else for Thanksgiving. Uh, I, myself, traveled to the Outer Banks for Thanksgiving. Um, and so you may be thinking, man, wow, that is so, what an amazing family trip. Nope, didn't see my family at all. Um, we actually went to the Outer Banks with uh, one, two, three, four, five couples that we were in Chi Alpha with um, when we were students. Um, and between the 10 adults, there were, who could say, four, eight, 10, 12, 14 kids. Um, and so they were everywhere. So people came and went a few uh, throughout the week, but we had a, had a blast, had a lot of fun, just kind of catching up and sharing with each other. And just looking at this room right now and thinking that like some of you are building friendships right now that will, you'll be able to vacation together when you grow older. Uh, when your kids grow up, they'll call you aunt and your friends aunt and uncle, um, and it will just be an absolute blast. Um, another funny story about the life of Chi Alpha, uh, Sunday morning we're packing up the Suburban to go, come home and try to turn it on. Battery's dead, so huge bummer. Uh, however, uh, one of our former students from UVA, uh, her parents have a house in the Outer Banks. Turns out it was only 10 minutes away from the place we were staying, and her and her dad drove over and jump-started the Suburban for us. And so all I'm saying is if you stay in Kyle long enough, somebody else will jump your car. <laughs> like, what is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. So, Anyways, uh, speaking of the message, uh, so we're going to go ahead and turn to that now. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, we've been in a semester this, we've been in a series this semester called Reframed, where we've been looking at the book of 1 Corinthians. What we realize about the church at Corinth is that they are messed up, right? The church of Corinth does a lot of things wrong. They have a lot of questions they've been asking Paul throughout the letter, and though Paul is the one that started this church, and though the Corinthians owe their very lives to him, uh, Paul is having to defend himself, defend his gospel, defend his apostleship, which we'll see happen in this chapter. And then Paul is helping to get them back on the right path. So there's been all these things that have been pressing on against them, all these different worldviews, all these different thoughts, and we've, we've seen some of these play out as the semester has progressed. And tonight, what we're going to look at and what we're going to reframe through the lens of the gospel is death. Whew, right? Yeah, so exciting. And so, I, so death, we're going to talk about reframed death. Uh, what does death mean as a Christian? What does death mean as the people of God? Now look, I, can, I understand that when, we, when you come to Tuesday Night Live, like death is like not, not exactly what you wanted to talk about, right? Huh? Yeah, Tuesday, it's Tuesday Night Death. Um, we're gonna, so, <laughs> so, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> are you guys okay? Are you okay? Good. And so, like when we talk about death, death can be like a super uncomfortable thing for us to talk about, right? Death is something that either has affected all of us or is going to affect all of us. Death is, death is something that our families of origin treat very different from one family to another, right? When you think about death, the way that you process death, the way that you have emotions surrounding death are often formed by your family of origin, and if you grew up in a household like mine, are often formed by not only your family of origin, but are also then formed by the uh, 
the oldest person of the same gender as you, right? So in my family, all men react the same to death and all women react the same to death, right? And those can be very different things. And what we realize is that not only is death something that we get from our family, but then death is also like something that it's like, we're not really sure how we're supposed to talk about it. And so what we have is we have these like, these what we would say religious platitudes that are passed down from generation to generation. And like, this is just what we say when people die. And so some of those, like, they're in a better place right now, or there's no more pain, or they're just sleeping, or God must have needed another angel. Uh, and these are, are phrases that we have heard and we've been we passed down, and it's like, is this what the Bible says? Is this what actually happens, or, or how can we reframe death through the lens of the gospel? Or maybe when you think about death, it's not that the platitudes, it's not your family of origin, because maybe your family didn't talk about death a lot, but it's actually cartoons, right? And we get a picture of death from cartoons. And the picture of death, and in particular the picture of heaven, is that what happens is we see these people, they're on clouds, right? Which is always so confusing to me. Like, like we've all been in planes, right? Like, we know that there are not people in the clouds, okay? But, like, we see, we see these people, they're playing harps, right? And it's like, I don't really want to play a harp for eternity. Uh, and so they're, they're playing harps, they're floating in the, in the clouds, and it's like, do they have a body? Do they not have a body? Like, when we die, do we just leave it all behind? Like, what? Do they recognize each other? And all these questions are things that are coming up in the church at Corinth, and the church at Corinth is trying to figure out what they're supposed to think about death. People around them are dying, okay? They're trying to figure out how to treat their body now, trying to fast forward to to what is going to happen when they die. And Paul is taking the time out in this letter to answer the question for them and to answer the question for us. And so we're going to read all of chapter 15. And so, um, yeah, it's a grind tonight. And so um, luckily, I know that most of your classes aren't meeting anymore, so I know you got time tonight. So, oh, oh whoa. Glad you're here, Kevin. So, chapter 15, we'll start in verse 1, and we're just going to kind of work through it um, just a little piece at a time. I would encourage you, like, you see a lot of different people up here preaching or teaching or whatever you want to call it, I don't care. Um, but as they, as they walk through a text, I would encourage you to try to apply some of the principles that they're walking through into your own devotional life. That as you think about um, interacting with the text, that it's not just like you have to read it all in one swoop and then move on to the next, but there are chances to take a step back, to ask questions of the text, and to, to interact. And so I want to encourage you, as you like tonight, as you see it, next week, as, as Hunter preaches, like in different times and places, like to, to find ways to like learn new ways to keep your, your own devotion to Jesus fresh. And so, boom, roasted. Thanks, Chris. So, all right, here we go. We'll start in verse 1, and we'll see when we get to the end. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I have preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. So first, from the outset, I, I meant to read a lot more than there, but I feel like we need to stop right here. Just from the outset, Paul calls the church at Corinth brothers and sisters. Okay? It is important from the very outset, for Paul has mentioned it throughout the letter, but for us now in our reading to understand that Paul is writing this to the church. 
the church that is gathered in someone's home, the church of brothers and sisters, those who are believers in the gospel, the, one that, the ones that he taught, the church that he formed, that Paul knows their relationship with Jesus. And so that Paul writes this portion of the letter specifically to the church. Now, brothers and sisters, and as we gather as the people of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that, that, that as we think about reframing death, that we reframe it within the context of the church, within the context of our relationship to Christ, within the context of our life in Jesus, which Paul says, like which you received and which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Okay, so, so maybe as you, as you heard me say that right there, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And you, 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 maybe you're recalling back a few weeks ago. This is, this is language that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 11. For what I received from the Lord, I passed on to you. And this is Paul hearkening back and, 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 and reminding the Corinthians of his apostleship. Like reminding the Corinthians that he is the one that, that built the church for them. He is the one that presented the gospel to them. And that, that what he received, he then passed on to them as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Here, Paul, now hearkening back to the scriptures and saying, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just what I received from Jesus. It wasn't just what I told you, but this is what the scriptures foretold. This is what the scriptures have been leading to. This is what the scriptures have been building up to. And this is what we knew was going to happen because the scriptures said that this was going to happen. And then it says, On the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he, being Jesus, appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, the twelve disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Here, what's happening in verse 6? Like, Paul's like, hey, most of these people, most of these 500 people, so Jesus, like, he raises on the third day by the same spirit that it lives in us. And then he starts up, he appears to Peter, he appears to the 12, he appears to 500 people. And Paul's, this is where Paul's like, hey, I, I'm going to show you my receipts here. Like, okay, like, if you don't believe me, you can go check these people out. You can go ask them. They are still, many of them are still alive. And Paul is saying, if you need to talk to them about it, you can go and do that. And Paul is like, like, this is what happened. This took place in space and time. This took place in history. One of the most exciting things for me about the biblical text and about holding a Bible in my hands is that the back of my Bible has maps. Okay, that like this actually took place, that we can walk to these places, that we can see these places. And Paul tells the church of Corinth, like, no, like Jesus resurrected from the dead. He appeared to all these people and they're still here. Go talk to them. See for yourself. Because most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep, which as we talked about earlier in the letter means, well, they gone. Then he appeared to James, James being his own brother. Uh, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, Paul, also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even be deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Don't you love that? Like, the, just the humble brag by Paul. He's like, I worked harder than all of them. And then it's almost as if, like, as he, as he writes that down, as he says it out loud, he realizes, 
Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. So Paul, like, like Christ died for our sins, that Christ won the victory over death, and that he, he appeared, and that now this is the foundation that as we talk about death, as we talk about reframing death, that the foundation for our understanding as the people of God when it comes to death is Christ's own victory over death. That in that moment, death becomes completely reframed because death is not as final as it used to be. Death does not have the finality that it did. Death is, does not have the final word because of Christ's victory over death. That, that what we hope for, that what we look forward to, what, what we live in right now, like it, it all changes because of what Christ did, because of who Christ is, because of who Christ was, and who Christ will be. This is the foundation as we talk about death and reframing this idea of death. So then Paul is going to continue, and he's going to talk to them about some specifics that are happening in their church within their own thought processes, um, and we'll see what happens. We only have uh, 60 verses to go. So, verse 12, he says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So here we get to the real problem in Corinth, right? So what we've talked about is at different times, culture has been creeping into the church at Corinth, right? They've been, they've been influenced, they've been swayed by, by culture, and they've been reframing their minds, not through the lens of the gospel, but they've been reframing their minds through what other people are saying, through what, what feels popular to do, what they want to do. And it's like, and so now Paul gets to the heart of the matter here. It is preached. So how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So some people in the church were saying that there is no resurrection of the dead, that, that once we are dead, that death is final. There's nothing beyond this life. And Paul is like, hey, I've heard, like, word has gotten to me that this is what some of you are believing, that these false teachers are now sharing this with, with the brothers and sisters, and that, you know, it's, the church is still fitting in a living room this, at this time. So if one person believes this and is teaching it, like, it is easy for it to spread throughout the church. And Paul's like, no, we need to correct this right now. Like, this is too big of a deal for us to just let it slide, and so we need to talk about this. And he's like, like okay, so why might the church of Corinth have, have believed this? Like, what... What would have brought them to this point? And I think that what we have, what we have read, what we think, what we, what we, is that there's this sense that Gnosticism was kind of creeping in or around the church. Okay, so what's Gnosticism? I'm so glad that you asked. Yeah, great. So Gnosticism is the belief that our bodies don't matter. The only thing that matters about us is the part of us that is eternal, our souls. And so that our souls are eternal. Our bodies are temporal, and so thus the only thing we ever think about, the only thing we ever care about is our souls, and so whatever happens to our bodies doesn't matter. So I think that as this, this teaching was kind of creeping in and around the edges of the church, they're like, okay, so like if our bodies don't matter, then why do we even care? What and so that like obviously there is no resurrection of the of our bodies. Like this isn't this isn't how it goes. And Paul's like, no, that's not it. That's not what it looks like. And so we need to talk about this. And so then Paul goes on to tell us, like, what is going to happen to our bodies. And so let's continue. Paul says in verse 13, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. 
More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him. If in fact, the dead are not raised. For the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Tough, right? <laughs> I'm just like, sometimes like the, like the epistle writers, like, it's like, like Paul just really doesn't pull any punches. Like he just like cuts straight to the heart, tells them exactly how it is. And I'm like grateful for that, but I wonder what it would have been like to have been sitting in the room when the letter was read out loud. Like, you know, they've been going through this whole time. You've been taking body blows the whole time. They're like, like we are, you are most to be pitied. Oh, well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that. I don't want to be, nope, mm-mm, nope, I'm going with Paul on this one. And so, so Paul takes the moment in this paragraph here to talk about the argument from logic, right? He, he appeals to the logic of the church at Corinth. Like, if Christ was not raised, then no one can be raised. And if Christ was raised, then people can be raised. And so how can you believe that there's no resurrection of the dead if you believe in the resurrection of Christ? And if you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, then what are we even here for? What are we even gathered around? Like, what are we actually hoping for? Fundamentally, Christians are people of hope. And the reasons that we have hope is because of the resurrection of Christ, that we are people of victory. We are people that have more than we could ever ask for, more than we could ever imagine, that no matter how bad it gets, no matter what happens to us during finals, no matter what happens to us in our transition of power, in our government, no matter what happens to us in our home lives, no matter what happens to us over break, that we are people of victory and that we are people of hope because of the resurrection. Because that is the day that, that the great victory came. That that is the day in which Christ broke the power of sin, that Christ broke the power of death, and that that is the day in which we hold strong to. And when we say no matter what happens to our bodies, no matter what happens to in, our, in our houses, no matter what happens in our semesters, no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what happens in our finances, we hold to that hope. And that hope is eternal. That hope gives us life. That hope gives us the power to move into victory because of what Christ has done. And Paul says in this paragraph that if we just live for this life, then why are we following a Christ who did not raise from the dead? That if the only victory that is offered to us like happens right here and right now in this 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years that we would get, man, is that really it? Is that really all we're hoping for? Is that really all we're longing for? Is a life that just would just end? No, we long for so much more. We believe for so much more. There's something deep within us that we're like, there must be something more than this. There must be a bigger kingdom. We must be citizens of heaven. There is something that we are longing for. And we can take part in that because Christ was raised first. And that's what Paul tells us in our very next verse. Verse 20, it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Christ is the firstfruits of the resurrection. He is our example in so many ways. And like, in, in all of our aspects of our life, right, Christ is the example. But it's not just in the way that we live, but it's also in the way that we look at the resurrection. 
It's also in the way that we look at the afterlife. It's also in the way that we think about life after death, that Christ is the resurrection. He is the first fruits. That because of his victory over death, because of his victory over sin, that we can now take part in that as we look forward to our next life, as we look forward to the continuation, as we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth, as we think about these things, we know that Christ went first and that now we will also go. He is the beginning of the victory over death and the beginning of our hope. And so how does that play out? Like, what does that look like? What does that mean? How, what, how, like, break this down for us theologically. Paul's like, I got that. So Paul writes in verse 21, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. So in that moment, it's like, okay, so death came through a man. Like, who's the man? Like, what man? Like, I am the man. No. Uh, like, what? And, and Paul tells us further, he says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But what we see is that death comes through Adam, right? That as Adam and Eve are in the garden, that as sin enters, then death comes about. I always find it fascinating that you see, you read stories about, you read the Genesis account about Adam and Eve in the garden, right? There they are. And then like they, they sin, they eat of the forbidden fruit, and then they're Shame comes in to the garden, right? And they, they see that they're naked, so they hide from God. <laughs> like, like that's going to work. God's like, oh, hey, <laughs> uh, gotcha. <laughs> He's like, what, what are you doing over there in the bush? You're like, oh, we were afraid, so we hid. And the text then says, like, it's where we see not only death is going to enter into the human race, but we see death enter into the text right after that, right? Because cause garments of skin are made from them. And so a creature has to give its life literally, for the sin that Adam and Eve commit at the very beginning of the garden. And we see death is coming into humanity because of the choices that Adam made. But then Paul tells us, like, hey, the good news is that life enters through Christ, and that as Christ is the first fruits, that as, as we can have our lives in Christ, that this is the hope that we can have, and that life enters through Christ because it is not, like, death is not the end. That what happened in the garden is not where we're stopping. That this story is continuing. That what we see is this is going to play out through history, space, and time up to now. And this is what we are headed to. And that Christ has given us life. And it says, for, but, but each in turn, Christ and the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to, the, to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ when he was... When, it's like, yeah, thanks Paul, we, we, we understand that, yes. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. There's kind of a, a lot happening there, right there, in like that chapter, right? And a lot of, like, there's this, it's all these things moving back and forth. But what, what we see here, let's, let's break this down. It says, it says, for all, for as in Adam, all die, so in Christ, all we made alive. But each in turn, Christ, then the first fruits, then when he comes. Okay, what, is it, what does it mean when the text says, then when he comes? Okay, theologically, what we know, what we've seen as Paul has written other letters, as what we have known from the New Testament, is that Christ is coming back. Okay, Christ 
has come to earth. Uh, we're in the middle of the Advent season right now, right? Advent started today. Um, and so if you have your Advent calendars, you're allowed to eat the first chocolate today. So if you don't have them, you should probably go to Aldi's and get them, and then tomorrow you can eat two. Treat yourself. Um, and so uh, I think my kids have some. Who could say? But we're going to raid their candy when we get home. Let's go. Uh, so anyways, so Christ came to earth as a baby. God himself fit himself in human flesh and somehow, some way, some shape, some form. He lived for 30 to 33 years. It's very unclear to us exactly when this happened. Uh, he was then crucified on a Friday and then resurrected on a Sunday. He then appears to all these people. He then ascends to heaven right now where he is sitting at the right hand of the Father awaiting the end of all things where he will come back and there will be... Um, Revelation tells us that there will be a battle, right? Okay, there will be a battle at the end of all things, of good versus evil, God um, and his army. At this point, Jesus comes back and he's riding a pretty bad horse. He's got two pretty bad tattoos that say King of Kings and Lord of Lords down his thighs, which I can only imagine how bad that must have hurt. Um, and so, like, and so if you've ever, like, seen, like, bad Christian, like, end times theology, it's like, there's, they're like, we're all, we're going to be in a part of the army and we're going to go to fight. And it's like, that's actually not going to happen. Like, Christ is entirely too powerful to actually need our help in that battle. Like, I think he's just going to be like, and it's going to be over, right? It's like, I think uh, it's from one of those movies, right, with the snapping. We were just talking about this at... Uh, Avengers, yes. Okay, I've only I've only seen that part. That's the only part I've seen of that movie, um, and so, like, and so Christ is gonna snap or whatever. He's gonna blink or he's gonna speak, and it's all gonna be over. Like, but like this is what, and at that point, that will be the end of all things for this heaven, for this earth, and then the new heavens and new earth will come into existence and that we will come, we will usher in the new heavens and the new earth and we will cultivate it and we will have authority and dominion and all these things as we reign with Christ forever. So, we're going we're gonna to get into the weeds a little bit here, but I feel like this is helpful because I also feel like, like maybe you grew up in a house like mine where it's like we just never really talked about how it plays out or what it looks like and so whenever someone died and then it was like, entirely too emotional to talk about it and so i think like let's you know just to have like a round table discussion here though there's no table and it's not round like gosh this guy's an idiot uh, so she's like <laughs> camper pastor um so so christ will come back and at that point everybody gets their bodies back Okay, at the, like the last victory over death is when we all get our bodies back. And so, like, we don't, the Bible tells us that we don't know when he's coming back, right? We shouldn't guess the day or the hour. It doesn't do us any good. Um, and so we don't really know if it's going to happen in our lifetimes. It's going to happen in your lifetimes because um, we probably have different lifetimes. Um, we, we don't know when it's going to happen. So if we were to pass before it does happen. So all of our loved ones, all of our friends that have, have passed, that have died um, in our lifetimes, those that were in Christ, that those who were a part of him, 
they are right now in heaven with him without their bodies. Okay, so oftentimes, like the cartoon images we talked about earlier, where they, they feel like they can float, or they're soulless, or not soulless, bodiless, they're souls as they float around. This is what they are in Christ right now. As they are with him, as they are um, doing whatever people do in heaven, it's very unclear to me, though I, I think there's a couple of books out. <laughs> you guys can't see my face, but there's like a small child that he goes to heaven, right? And he writes... Yeah, heaven's for real. Yeah, he writes a book, and it's worth, he's worth millions now. Um, and so, and what Paul tells in other letters is that, that you know, it, it is one to be with Christ, and that is better, but it is better to be with Christ in bodily form. And so everyone that is with Christ right now does, like, long for the days in which they will get their bodies back. And so that is, and so as they live in heaven right now, we live here on earth, and we are in what, what theologians would call the now and not yet period of the kingdom. And this is why, what? Waiting the waiting room, right? Well, yeah, I get that. Uh, so we are here on earth right now, and the kingdom has not fully come, though the kingdom has started to come, right? When Christ comes, he inaugurates the kingdom on earth, okay? And that he's, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is here, repent for the kingdom is near, and what we see, we see miracles happen amongst our friends, right? We see people, uh, we pray for people and they uh, receive sight. We pray for people and their sickness goes away. Like we see God work miracles in our own lives where we need financial provision and then immediately it comes. Or, or maybe for some of you, like getting into JMU was provision or getting into the house that you're in. You're like, you know, the Lord really made this happen. Um, and it's like, and we can see all these things happen. But then we have these other moments where it's like, it feels like nothing is happening. We live in this tension, right? And that's because the kingdom isn't fully come yet. We are longing for the day when the kingdom will fully come, which will happen at the end of all things. And so we're in this like now and not yet period, and we have this tension, okay? So I've got a, I got a picture, oh, a few pictures up here that I want to show you. And so um, have you ever seen a movie based on a true story? So I've got some movies here based on true stories. Um, y'all know Toy Story is real, right? You know that that is exactly what happens, right? And so, like, I know that that is what happens. And so, because I sometimes, like, go play with my kids' toys, and it's like, that's not where I left that. And I'm like, hmm, it must have fallen down when I opened the door. They heard me come to the steps, and we have creaky stairs. So anyways, so these are all, these are just a few based on uh, true story movies. Um, maybe there are other ones that come to your mind when you think about it based on a true story. Um, these were just like the first five or six that showed up on a Google search, and I had to add in Toy Story because it didn't show up. And I'm like, Inter interesting, Google. Um, and so how many of you, when you have watched this movie, though you have known what the end is going to be, still felt tension in that moment? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know what the answer is going to be. Like, we just watched uh, Moneyball, like, the other week. And, like, we knew what was going to happen, and it's still like, oh, is he, is he going to, is it, what's going to happen, right? And like, maybe, maybe you've seen some of these other, it's like, it's like you, you still find yourselves in those moments. This is what living in the now and not yet of the kingdom is like, in my mind. We know the end from the beginning. 
Like, we know Christ will win the ultimate victory. We know what our future is. We know what it is like to be in Christ. But we still live in this tension because it's playing out in real space and in real time in our lives. And so this is, this is not, it is not a bad feeling, or it's not an unknown feeling, or it's not an abnormal feeling to feel this tension. It is a part of life as we live in those moments as they play out in real space, in real time around us. And as we look at death, we can have hope because we know what the future is. We know what the final answer will be. This doesn't mean that we, and when we, when we find ourselves frustrated or when we find ourselves discouraged, this doesn't mean we have lost hope. It just means in, in that moment, we're living in that tension more than in other moments. Does that make sense? Good. Thanks. So, let's continue with what Paul says, because we're almost halfway through the chapter. Tough. Shoo. Hot. Yeah, hot dog. And he says, now... If there is no resurrection, what will those do who were baptized for the dead? Full stop. Okay, <laughs> we need to take a moment and just talk about what just happened. So first Paul was appealing to logic, right? He's like, we should believe in a resurrection, we should believe the dead are raised because we believe that Christ was raised. And so there's no reason for us not to believe that the resurrection happens because Christ was raised and so therefore he's the first fruits and now there'll be other things. And then Paul turns from logic, did you follow all that? He turns from logic to now talking about like some of their own practices that are happening in the church of Corinth. So what we, what we now know is that in the church of Corinth, remember, this is a super spiritual congregation, right? They've been proud by their own gifts. They've been puffed up. They've been excited as they've spoken in tongues over each other, as they've seen miracles happen, like a very spiritual congregation. And then, like what we now read is that all of a sudden, they're like, well, wait, we have friends that have passed and they weren't baptized and so i'm going to get baptized for my relative to make sure that they're okay because like like they like for some reason this weird teaching had gotten to the church that the only way to be saved is to be baptized we don't believe that we don't believe that there's grace bestowed in the baptism event we do believe that as you become a christian that the first step the next step would be to be baptized out of obedience to christ but but the baptism itself does not save you and so Paul's like, yo, like, if you, like, why, what do you mean you, like, what do you mean you don't believe, you're, you're literally being baptized for people that are dead because you think that, that, so, come on, what's wrong with you guys, you weirdos? And it's like, oh, man, I do that in my own life entirely too many times, to where I live out practically what I don't believe theologically, and it's like, and I now have to get my actions to match my theology, and that is sometimes a harder step, and it sometimes takes some time for it to play out. So I try to give them a little bit of grace. And then Paul turns to himself. He says, as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? Wait a minute, full stop again. Wild beasts in Ephesus. So, when you read this at first, you're like, okay, maybe Paul was in the arena, right? Like he's fighting. It, probably Paul wasn't in the arena. Paul will find out, uh, well, we know we, Paul's a Roman citizen. 
His Roman citizenship would have probably kept him out of the arena fighting the wild beasts as some other Christians would have died in the arena as they would have professed Christ in, in, in situations that would have not been beneficial to profess Christ and they would have gone to the arena where people would have cheered as they were gored to death by animals. And so Paul himself, what he probably means by wild beasts in Ephesus are, are these, these uh, mental fights that Paul was happening, having with the church at Ephesus, with the town of Ephesus, and that they do, I believe, run Paul out of the city at one point um, because of his thoughts, because of his beliefs. And so Paul's saying, like, why would I go through all this trouble? Why, why would I do this if it, if it all just ended now? Like, but, but as we look at an eternal hope, like this is what this is about. This is, this is why it is worth it. So then he continues. Uh, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Here, Paul quoting back to them uh, something that has probably been said around them. This is this may be even something that you've heard at a party at JMU. Like, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Like, and it's like like this. This is what life is about. Like, if, if it all ends now, like let's live it up. Let's have the best time. Let's do things that we shouldn't do. Like, because it doesn't matter. And Paul's telling them it does matter. You know deep down that it matters. You know deep down that your body matters. This is why we see UREC is always full of people. This is why we see salad places continuing to pop up, right? Like, like Because we know that our bodies matter. And we know that as we take care of our bodies, we feel better. And it's like this isn't just for right now. Like We know that there is something there deep down inside of us. We can feel that. Paul says again, do not be misled. Bad company correct, corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. There are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. So again, Paul, not here quoting a biblical principle, but one that has played out in every single space and every single time and every type of society that has ever lived on the earth, that, that bad company corrupts good character. What do they say? That you are the sum of your five closest friends, right? And that as we think about who we hang out with and who we're with and like who is influencing who. And Paul is saying bad company uh, corrupts good character. And that as you give yourselves over to these teachings, as you have them encourage you, as you think about them, as these are the people that you are with, that they will bring you into their orbit instead of you bringing them into their orbit. Now, as I say this, like one of the things that I like deeply desire for us as Chi Alpha, for us as the community of God, is for us to be constantly interacting with people who are not in Chi Alpha. Does that make sense? That as we as we like think, but but what I want us to think about is like who is influencing who in the situation. And so as we go out, we go out in pairs, as the Bible would say, to go out in pairs. As we have friendships that are, are meaningful, and as we hang out with people that we still think about, are we keeping our eyes on the prize of Christ and bringing our friends along with us? Are we bringing Christ into these conversations? Or are they just times where we're just like, hey, you know what, I'm going to take the Jesus off for just a little bit. Like, I'm just going to take a break, right? Like, I deserve this. Uh, I find myself, whenever I say I deserve this, um, that I'm probably wrong. 
um, that uh, what I probably deserve is death, hell, and the grave, and what I get is something significantly better than that. And so whenever I find myself being like, no, I deserve this, it's like, nope, that's not it. This is not a good moment for me. So to like bring that in and like recenter and hang out with friends that love me and will encourage me and then go back out into the world. So, whew, so this is good so far. Great job, everybody. You're all taking good notes. You're all tuning right in. And so now let's talk about what the resurrection body will actually look like. Have you ever wondered, like, what will we look like at the end of all things? And yes, well, Paul's going to give us somewhat of an answer to that tonight, because how would he know? Um, so, 35, but if someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? <laughs> it turns out the Corinthians and I had the same exact question, right? Like, how, what does this look like? And it's tough. The next two words Paul says is, how foolish. So the NIV, like, really takes a step back on what Paul's actually saying here. And so what Paul's actually been like, you guys are idiots. Like, stupid. Like, that's who you are. Like, what do you, what do you mean, how are the dead raised? Like, how could you even have that question? I'm like, well, I, I have that question. So luckily, Paul still answers it. He says, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat, or maybe even of something else, cherry tomatoes at our house. Uh, but God gives it a body as he has determined. To each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds have another and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. The splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And actually, stars different from other stars in splendor. So there you go. Those, that's the answer. That, uh, so hopefully that clears it up for you. Me neither. And so let's, uh, let's take another look at this. So Paul's like, hey, like they're like, how, is the, how are the dead raised? What does this mean? Like, like this doesn't make any sense. And Paul's like, no, it, does. it makes complete sense. You see this in your everyday life. You see this all the time that you plant seeds. And, you know, John tells us unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, then nothing can be born from it. And that what we know with seeds is that they must die, they must be planted, and then life comes from them again. And when the life comes, it doesn't look exactly like that seed that we plant into the ground, but it does look like what it is supposed to look like. And then Paul tells us there are different types of bodies. And of course, that, that is what that means. And, and who, like the, the sun looks different than stars. And it's like, mostly, and the moon. And, and like, and, but it's like, what, it, what matters is that we will all look different from each other. As a star differs from a star, so we will differ from one another. But that we will be what the Lord has asked us to be. That we will be who we are supposed to be. That we will be in glory in that moment just like we are supposed to be i think like as paul was telling us to look at christ christ as the first fruits and then those who are in christ and at the end of all things those who would then come as those who are in christ right and think about the resurrection appearances that jesus had amongst his followers what did jesus look like interesting question right okay so mary at the mary at the tomb right she thinks he's the gardener right she doesn't recognize him until he says her name and then she's like boom you're jesus 
when he then appears to the, to the disciples in the room, like, he walks through the wall. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, interesting. He has the ability to walk through walls now, right? And, like, he appears in that moment, and they, they ask him questions. Or, or when he's walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they don't know who he is the entire time that they walk with him. But they, it says that their hearts burned as he explained the scriptures to them. So they knew that something was happening. Thomas, when he sees Jesus finally, he's like, yo, what's going on? Prove it. And Jesus is like, yo, stick your hands in, stick, stick, like, and like, Thomas is like, boom. And like, he's still got holes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's always been fascinating to me. Like, the dude had holes still, like, in that moment. And then, like, like he, he's with the disciples one time. Like, he cooks Peter breakfast one time. And another time he's like, hey, you guys got any fish? Like, I'm kind of hungry. And so, like, they make him fish and he eats it, right? And I'm like, what is happening? And so, like, at certain times, like, people recognize Jesus. At other times, they don't recognize Jesus. And sometimes his voice sounds the same. Other times, they, like, don't recognize it. And it's like, wow. And then the question is, like, how old will we all be in our resurrected bodies, right? Like, what, like I know I'm past my prime. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I've been on a steep downhill. I'm sorry, Katie, as she's watching, like, right now. Like, I'm doing what I can. Um, it's like... <laughs> and it's like, like, well, we all be like, I don't know, like Jesus was like 30 to 33, like, and that seems to be like what he was. Like, what about people who die in childbirth? What about people who die as, as elderly people? Like, what, what kind of age will we be in the resurrection? And we really don't know. There's no, we can guess, but that's all it would be would be guesses. But here's what we do know about what those bodies will be like. And so let's read on. Just a setup after setup. Verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. As the body goes into the ground, it is perishable, right? Like these bodies decay, they die. They die and then they decay. Like the, the body will slow like... Nature will take its course as the body lays in the ground. Okay, this, this is what will happen. It is sown perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Many of us that have had uh, grandparents or even parents of an old age die, like as we have seen their bodies like go into weakness, we have thought that this is not what it's supposed to be. This is not what this is supposed to feel like. This is not what we're supposed to be witnessing. And it's because that feeling that we have is right. The death was not supposed to have the final say. Death was not supposed to be a part of our lives. And that as we see this play out, as we see them sown in weakness, the text tells us they will be raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven, as was the earthly man. So are those who are of the earth, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, 
so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. And so as we bear the image of Adam, as we bear the image of Eve here on earth, as we are made of the dust of the earth, as we take part in the things of the earth, that is what we do first. And then, as Christ wins the victory, as he comes back to judge the living and the dead, as he comes back in victory and in power, we then will be raised in our spiritual bodies. We will get these bodies and they will be spiritual, glorified bodies. They will be sown imperishable, raised imperishable. They will be sown in dishonor, raised in glory. They will be sown in weakness and raised in power. And it will be like it will be like nothing we have ever seen, but it will be like everything we have ever known. It'll be so foreign yet so normal. It'll be so like, yes, this is exactly it. This is what we have longed for. This is what we have waited for. This is what we have prayed for. This is what we have hoped for. This is the victory. Paul continues, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a flash, as in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself, clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. We know the end from the beginning. We know that this is what will happen. Paul is telling the church at Corinth that, that not everyone will die. There will be a time where Christ will come back in order to see all this happen. That day is in the future, and Christ tells us that, that this is what we are hoping for. That there will be a time when, when the mortal will be no longer, but then we will be raised in immortality. And I think this is like this hope, this longing that is deep within us, is deep within like our friends and our family, this, this like desire for immortality is why superhero movies like continue to be true throughout the ages right that people continue to like like yes that is it and i think that that is a longing that that like is created out of a like out of a, a spiritual desire like that this is what we could be working towards this is not, not like flying though maybe flying like not like uh becoming very small like right isn't that one of the superheroes yeah ant-man got it check um, but like this sense that like, like the, the, Im the immortality, like that, that good always wins and that these are good longings that are in our hearts and that, that this is part of the natural order of things as we would look towards that future, as we would look towards that victory, as we would long for that hope. Then I love the next part, verse 55, because after all this like, <laughs> this like deep, theological talk like Paul has gotten into the weeds of theology then like Paul takes a, a chance at the end of the chapter to mock death <laughs> he says where death is your victory where oh death is your sting Paul's like bring it on like come on death I'll fight you right now you have lost the sting of death is sin 
and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So as we think about reframing death, as we reframe it through the lens of the gospel, that death is no longer final. That death is no longer hopeless. Death is no longer the end. And when we sit with our family members, when we sit with our friends, when we, when we sit with ourselves as, as we ponder death that happens around us, we don't grieve as, the, as those who have no hope. That doesn't mean that we don't grieve. We do grieve, right? That, that there's a sense that as we're around death, that this is not supposed to be like this, because it's not. But that we can turn that corner towards hope. We can turn that corner towards victory. We can towards that, turn that corner towards the resurrected life, and that this is what it's supposed to be. This is what it's supposed to feel like. This is what we're longing for, and this is what we will be forever. So I just want to talk just real quickly here on just some takeaways as we think about reframing death in our own lives. The first one is I think it's just good for us just to reframe death theologically, for us to have a better understanding of death, for us to have a better understanding that this is not what it's supposed to be like, but there is something that we are longing for more. And to give ourselves permission to have that understanding that this isn't right, that death and sickness were not supposed to happen, but they're not the end of it all. But as we think about our family members that are sick, and every night at dinner, uh, Levi prays for our meal, and like he, every night for months, he continues to pray for everyone that has COVID. He's like, I just pray that whoever has COVID that they would get better. Because he ha- like he's eight, and he has this innate understanding in him that this is not what it's supposed to be like. Like, this is not supposed to be what they're going through. And like, but he's like, but I believe that something can happen. So let's have that hope. Let's understand what this can feel like and those, those tensions that we live in. Second, let's understand that our bodies do matter. That as we understand that our bodies are things that we're going to get back, that we will treat them differently here on earth. We don't treat them with contempt, but we believe that they are what the Lord has given us. That as our star differs from other stars, that, this, that our bodies do matter. And so we, we cultivate our bodies. We believe with our bodies. Like we live with our bodies and we treat them well. We don't compare our bodies to one another, but we love and care for the one that the Lord has given us. And then lastly, that we have hope. That we know that victory is promised to us, that death is not the end, that Christ is the end. And that as we see loved ones around us, as we contemplate our own death, that we don't do it without hope. That we always come back to the hope. As Paul started out at the beginning of this chapter, like that we understand the gospel, that we understand the resurrection, we understand the victory, and that we are fundamentally people of hope and people of victory. So I'm, I'm going to give you just a moment just to sit with your own thoughts about this and give you a moment just to write some things down. Maybe there's something you want to journal or something you want to look at later. 
Um, I'm just going to give you just about 60 seconds just to sit with your own thoughts here as we have talked about death, which can be a very heavy um, night. And then we're going to uh, come back. I'll close this in prayer while the benediction, and we'll head towards victory.